Yeah, Preston probably couldn't hear any of that. I had it turned down. Can you hear me there, Preston? I can hear you now, yep. Oh, okay, excellent. Everything's working, as expected. I got in touch with Preston because I was trying to uh, ask a question of him for um, somebody that's trying to, I guess, uh, trying to uh, start a project. Maybe we'll get to this during the talk. Preston's been writing for, you got 21 books, Preston. How long have you been writing? Uh, since pretty much 1988, I guess, is when I first started writing, got involved in 1986. Oh, that's interesting. Was that when you lived in Topanga? Exactly, yep. That's when I first entered this field, heard a sighting on the news, didn't believe it for a second, but found out my brother had seen a UFO, my sister-in-law, my other sister-in-law had an encounter, (laughs) friends, people at work, Um, so it was a little bit crazy there for a while, kind of freaked me out real bad, I have to tell you, I mean, not good news. (laughs) Yeah, not when you're... Who knows what you're expecting? You're probably not expecting anything. I I had been interested for a long time. The funny thing is, why well, I asked, and I knew this, that you had lived there and grow, grown up there. I was living in Topanga in 1986. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I lived there from 84 or 5 till 89. And I wrote my first article in 88. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's a major hot spot. I, I, it still has activity, but uh, boy, there's so many cases of sightings in that area. Yeah, and of course, I never saw anything. And I, it's funny, there was a big article in the Topanga Canyon. There, there's a newsletter or newspaper that comes out. I don't know if it still comes out there, but there's a big no, feature, the- big feature on it about ooh, four or five months after I left, and it seemed like all this activity really ramped up after I left Topanga Canyon which was uh, incredible. I used to ride my bike. I had to work near the airport, and my car was broken down. I used to ride my bike down to the airport from Topanga Canyon down to LAX at about 4 in the afternoon, which was one of the stupidest times to be riding a bike. And I came back at about 1 or 2 in the morning, and I rode up yeah. that, I rode up Topanga Canyon for Pacific Coast Highway for about probably about 4 or 5 months. Five nights a week, I saw nothing. <laughs> it's, it's weird. I know people who've lived there for their whole lives haven't seen haven't seen a thing not once. You know, I never saw anything there. Not until I started investigating it and going out and basically looking for it. Yeah, I felt kind of cheated. Uh, we're not going to cheat ourselves out of a uh, intro uh, music though. And since you've never heard any of them, I'll just play a. a ra- I've got three different intros for the show. I'll just play. Um, I always play the anti-ETH one, which we'll get into, but uh, let's just play the old uh, Greg one. Get your hands up. Stay where you are. Don't move. Don't reach for them guns. Take it easy, you galoots. Put away the hardware and relax. What's Greg? in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. 
That is why you are here. And now for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso? Okay, we all know how the rest of that sounds, so we won't listen to that. Preston, you still there? I'm here. Oh, excellent. I forgot to tell you that we were on the air like I promised I said I would. <laughs> so, <laughs> so people are listening now. This is extreme. I, I had an uh, um, interview a few, a couple of months ago, and I, I think I hit the nail on the head with this show. It's, it's uh, incompetent to the point of, um, I don't know what, but it's, I, oh, studied incompetence is this show. So, and it's been that way since 1998 when I first started interviewing people. Uh, well, it seems to be working then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do this because I like it. I, I don't have any sponsors. I don't have any advertising. I don't, uh, I don't really promote it at all. I don't charge anybody for it. This is purely because I want to talk to people. The same reason I did my magazine, because I want to talk to people directly and ask them direct questions and be able to have a nice, you know, back and forth with them. I don't know if you ever listened to the show. I, I don't suspect you would have, but uh, that's basically my philosophy. So I, I will treat this the same way. And I, I've been, you know, somebody told me this this uh, show has become an echo chamber. I didn't want to do that. So when I got in contact with you, I've uh, known of you and sort of known you for quite a long time. And I thought it'd be a good time to have you on. So, welcome, finally, to the show. Hey, I appreciate it. Yeah, I've definitely seen you around. You've been around this field for a really long time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited. Oh, let me do the intro. I will read the intro that, that uh, Preston sent me, and I will tell everybody that's what I'm doing, because um, this is the lazy host's way of doing it. Also, he very helpfully sent me an intro, a bunch of questions, background on his books, all kind of stuff. I do remember reading, uh, was was there one about specifically about Topanga, UFOs over Topanga? Right, right. Yeah, that's when I remember reading when it came out, which because I had lived there, so I wanted to read it. And I've read bits and pieces of your others. My, my um, wife, actually, um, she continuously gets, uh, she's a children's librarian, so she's constantly recommending your two children's books on cryptozoology, or I guess on... on uh, one of them's a kind of a Bigfootish book or cryptozoology book, and the other one's purely UFO, right? Right, right. Yeah, those are popular. Yeah, yeah. Preston, yeah. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and coworkers were having dramatic, unexplained encounters, like he just said here. Since then, he's interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He's a field investigator for MUFON, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and author of 21 books. That's a lot. And more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal, which have appeared in numerous magazines, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, uh, the MUFON Journal, Nexus, Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Mysteries, Ufologist. I've never heard of Ufologist Magazine. And others. 
His writing has been translated into several different languages, including German, French, Portuguese, Russian, and Icelandic. <laughs> uh, appeared on numerous radio and television programs like Midnight in the Desert, Art Bell, Coast to Coast, and TV shows like uh, Deep Sea UFOs on the History Channel and UFO Hunters. Preston's research has been presented in the L.A. Times, L.A. Daily News, the Dallas Morning News, and other newspapers. He's taught classes, which I may ask you about, on various paranormal subjects and lectures across the United States and lives in Reseda, actually near Topanga and fairly near me. Is that not where D. Scott Rogo lived, um, where he last lived before he was murdered? Um, I think it was like Van Nuys, a couple of neighborhoods down. Oh, maybe it was no, Van Nuys. Sure. Yeah. The guy that was convicted of his murder is um, was released a couple of years ago, I think. Oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah. Ann Druffle was very upset about this because she was a really good friend of his. Of course, they wrote the Tonga Canyon Contacts. Uh, they co-wrote that. Right. Yeah, I enjoyed the book. Yeah, I remember when that all went down. It was you know, pretty scary. Yeah. Every now and then, the UFO researchers get bumped off and always wondering if there's a conspiracy behind it or you know what's going on in this one. I tend to think not, but then I, I don't know 100%. Have you ever been threatened or worried about something or made paranoid in the course of all the stuff you've done? Um, not really. I mean, there was, there's was there been a little bit of things here and there. I've had a lot of phone problems that seem just a little bit unusual. And, uh, you know, mail problems. My mail used to come back opened. Uh, and it was often this UFO information yeah. i'm sending back and forth mine did too and, uh, and uh you know things like that i did have one guy call me this was during the topanga canyon investigation and i was like calling the police i'm putting up flyers i'm like out there in the middle of the night driving i was going for it and i got get this call from this guy who says he worked in uh let me see it was in satellite mapping under a top secret um base or something like this i don't this was quite some time ago, and top secret capacity, rather. And uh, he started to basically threaten me. He's like, you're, the, you're, you're Preston Denny. You're involved in the UFO research, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm thinking this is exciting. You know, and this guy's going on and on about his credentials and finally gets to the point and says, you know, you're, what you're doing is dangerous. You don't know what you're getting into, and you should probably not be doing this. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, he's kind of went on in that vein and said, uh, what else did he say? He's like, you're barking up the wrong tree. There's no pay dirt in it. I thought to myself, well, you're kind of contradicting yourself. I mean, why is it dangerous if there's nothing to it? So uh, that was basically it. He kind of just rambled around a little bit, and and, uh, we hung up, and I thought, I was actually kind of flattered. I thought, hmm, maybe I hit a nerve. Oh, so you weren't you weren't really bothered by it, but you you became excited because you thought, hey, maybe I'm actually doing something that makes a difference here. If somebody wants to threaten me, or at least, uh, um, yeah, you know, vaguely threaten me. I mean, no, I, I didn't feel like he was truly going to hurt me, but I mean, he was definitely threatening me in that kind of sort of a you know passive aggressive way, I guess you could say. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, yeah, and that, and that sort of thing, that, that that was probably the worst of it. But, you know, people have come up to my table, you know, at a convention now and then, or they're in the audience, and they're dressed up in those shiny sunglasses and a perfect suit, and their hair is just perfect, and they start <laughs> going to this debunking rampage. This happened when I was lecturing about the 
Topanga Canyon incident. And I just finally just shouted him down <laughs> and he shut up. Really? But I felt huh. like, I felt like he was, you know, I got an applause and everything. Cause I'm like, he's trying to tell me it was all weather phenomena and just didn't make any sense that he would, you know, jump up in the middle of this lecture that I'm giving. Right. Dressed the way he was, you know, it's not like he was a homeless guy or, you know, someone who's mentally imbalanced. Uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm not no. equating homeless people to mentally imbalanced. Just saying no, right no. There. <laughs> well, if I was homeless, but, uh, I'd probably become more <laughs> mentally imbalanced than I already am. So I, I, I don't blame them for that. Just pointing out, yeah, that he was, looked like one of those government stooges to me. And I, and I wonder, I wonder if, mm, if these guys are watching me. And I'm guessing that they are keeping their tabs on UFO researchers. Why do you think? Uh, just to kind of gauge what, what information's coming out and who they're in contact with. I mean, wasn't there some information about this from uh, some other researchers who looked into it and found that the FBI or the CIA did have files on some of these early researchers? Yeah, they. I think they did early on. I think those uh, files became less prevalent. To me, this is my only my idea. Became less less prevalent as time went on because they realized it wasn't really a you know wasn't really a threat to national security or or more importantly, I think they're interested in the left leaning politics of some of the uh, people involved. But I think later it became more. What did they know about uh, anything that was basically a secret program that people were reporting as UFOs? They wanted to know about that. And then also more importantly, I think they wanted to know who the researchers were talking to and what they were saying because they wanted to know if any secret programs were being compromised or being looked at or whatever. And I think right. any disinformation is basically to keep people away from that and lead them lead them astray, not because they're trying to keep them... I think you offer researchers from any great secret because both the government, I think a lot of elements of the government and people like us know that there definitely is something going on. It's just that, oh, uh, th they've got, they've got a little bit better resources than we do, but I don't think we know much more really than they do, at least in a way of, you know, where they come from, what does it mean, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they know something. I mean, there's no doubt about that. The government is neck deep in this, I think. Yeah. I agree with that. They have been for a long time. I just don't. Th I think that the the illusion of knowing something that we don't know and keeping it from us is is a card in their. You know, that's a card that they keep uh, close to their vest. I think putting aside anything about crashed UFOs or anything like that, I I don't know if they have those things unless they showed them to us. You never know. Who knows what's going to happen with uh, whatever artifacts they're talking about with to the stars people and all that. Elizondo is actually on coast tonight. I'm interested to see how this whole disclosure thing pans out because, you know, it's like pulling teeth to get any official information out of the U.S. government on this topic. Yeah. And for someone of a high level at the Pentagon to say, yeah, UFOs are real, is a kind of a big deal, even if, if it is a drip. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a break in the traffic jam as far as I'm concerned, and um, let's keep it up. Yeah, we'll see what happens. He's, he's formerly with the Pentagon, but... I I don't know exactly what their their end game is, and I'm extremely suspicious because it, you know what my bias is, right? Because of uh, Project Beta. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, so my 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 bias is there's always a game, <laughs> and I don't know what the game. I could be wrong, but I I think there's a game that doesn't have really anything to do with the UFO subject and has to do with something else. However, everybody involved in it, a lot of these people are very interested in the UFO subject, and they've been 
for a long time, especially somebody like Hal Putoff. Eric Davis was on a few weeks ago on uh, with George Knapp. So I think they're trying to find out things at their level that they probably would never share with us just because their whole lives have been secrecy, you know. I feel like there's been a lot of pressure building on various fronts. You know, a lot of whistleblowers coming out. I've talked to a bunch of Navy guys at various capacities. One's a submarine navigator. One guy's an electrician's mate. Mm-hmm. Another guy's a Navy medic. Uh, one guy's a engineer. And they, they're all telling me these pretty incredible stories. I had that too in the 90s. A guy from the Navy did the same thing with me. So uh, I know there's lots of disinformation just come, waiting to come out. And, uh, yeah. What have they told you? What, what kind of, uh, you know, how did you meet these guys? We'll get to your books and stuff, but this is interesting to me. What kind of things have they told you? Because nobody really hears from the Navy. It's always Air Force, Air Force, Air Force, because it has to do with something in the air. But the Navy has a very deep history with this subject. Yeah, they do. I was kind of surprised when I kept looking into it and kept seeing the Navy pop up. Uh, yeah, a bunch of, a bunch of them has been going on for years. Uh, one guy is actually the first chapter in the book, the Navy medic. He had a really amazing encounter. Uh, one guy I talked to, I haven't written about his encounter yet, or I mean I have, but it hasn't come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a Navy, uh, kind of a electrician's mate, and, uh, he was on the USS Clamagore which had nuclear missiles. Mm-hmm. This was back, back in 1971, and he's going up the east coast of the U.S. and uh, is actually on watch on the uh, deck of the submarine, which is going along at six, eight knots uh, on the surface there. There's another watch officer. The captain's up there, and the second guy. And uh, they, he says this USO, this underwater object, comes zooming up to the submarine about 80 knots mm-hmm. from behind and starts pacing it and it paced it for about 20 minutes and during this time one officer after another from below decks comes up to take a look at it and see if they you know just to look at it I guess uh, did not appear on their radar and uh, after about 20 minutes zooms off and yeah it was a kind of a big deal the captain the second in command is like well you know captain how do you want me to report this in the log and the captain says, people who report these kinds of incidents don't move up in rank. So they didn't record it. And uh, they told the guy I interviewed, Ray Sachs, that's his name, uh, don't talk about this. And he went below deck, and all the guys down there were like, what happened? What happened? What did you see? And, of course, he told them. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty interesting story. Well, there's a lot of stories of people in in the armed forces having sightings, and then they don't, you know, they're told not to talk about it because it would be something they just don't particularly want to deal with. It's too much paperwork, it's too much of a problem, and maybe the captain reports it, but nobody else is supposed to talk about it because it's a discontinuity in um, in what they're supposed to be dealing with. And if you've got people not all on the same page about something. It doesn't help with the, the 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 discipline, and if you see what I'm getting at here, the UFO throws or USO throws a throws a wrench into the uh, yeah, psychology sure of the military does. machine, so they just kind of like, yeah, don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, let's just look the other way, which is ridiculous because that's kind of why they're there. Yeah. Know, to... <laughs> so I mean, that's just not a tenable attitude towards something like this, and well, I don't think it is their real attitude. 
um, ultimately at high levels. That obviously oh, no. really into this. Yeah, that's why I said you know maybe the captain has to report, or there's a certain officer that knows you know uh, whatever they have to report and make the report so it can be logged so they can you know because they need this information. It's just that. I don't think they like the the general, you know, the the NCOs and people talking about it because it's not, it doesn't, it it's not something that makes sense to lots of people, and everything in the military has to make sense. Right. Well, I asked Ray Sachs. I'm I'm like, did did you have to sign anything? I mean, he's like, no, no. They never said I, I never signed anything that said I couldn't talk about this. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, and uh, so he did. He's an elderly gentleman. He wanted to get it out. You know, he wanted people to know. He contacted me because you know, I've been doing a lot of U- USO research on right. water objects, and uh, he had a really good story, and he wanted to tell it. And, yeah, I confirmed. I went online, confirmed that he was in fact an electrician's mate on the USS Klamagor. I saw the the crew list, and uh, yeah, it was a good witness. It's always great when you can get a military guy because they're trained witnesses usually, mm-hmm. trained observers, and are familiar with aircraft to some extent. Yeah, because they have to be. Right. Yeah, there, well, there are so many military witnesses. Well, there's a lot of witnesses who should be able to tell what they're looking at. And, you know, this has been going on for since almost the beginning of the UFO era. Do you think that, um, if you get enough witnesses, it'll, it, it'll change people's minds? I, I don't think so. There's been an infinite number of witnesses talking about an infinite number of sightings. And there's, you know, there's just no way to deny that weird things are in the sky. And well, I, I do think it's helpful if you have a continuous flow of new accounts. Yeah. Right, right. There's always, you know what I mean? To let people know that this is not something that's gone away. Yeah. This is something that's here. It's still happening. And there's an enormous amount of, because people are vastly underestimating the evidence. Skeptics, let's say. They really are. They haven't done their homework. It's, the evidence is out there in the public arena to really prove this. Uh, it's just a lot of the physical evidence is scooped up pretty quick, and uh, uh-huh. or destroyed or put put away. Or, but it's there. It's absolutely there. There's enough, I think. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, and um, I was at the uh, UFO Congress here last weekend. Um, my friend Robbie gave a talk, and he basically his main message was: don't pay attention to disclosure so much because we've got our own resources we've got our own research we've got our own data we don't need the approval of somebody from the government to tell me tell us that there's something going on if they want to do what they want to do that's fine but uh i I maybe see how you feel about this my first reaction when all this happened was uh why are we believing people that we didn't believe for the <laughs> forever until now when they're telling people exactly what they want to hear. If you're hearing what exactly what you want to hear from people that generally their business is not being truthful, it's kind of strange. Yeah, I'm for, for me the good news was the subject was brought up into a, you know, at the White House press conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so it's actually getting, you know, a conversation, a dialogue. Yeah. And yes, they all kind of laughed nervously and made jokes during the whole thing and still, never got anywhere. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but still it's, it's something. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, Cause I've been in this field for God, the long forever. And I remember right when I got involved, they're saying disclosure, it's going to happen. Yeah. Like, really? Oh my God. <laughs> this is amazing. I can't wait. And it never did. Yeah. And it never has. And it's not going to, at least not in the way 
you know, I think a lot of people think. Or think or want. And now yeah. it's going to be bit by bit by bit, mm-hmm. and, which is, I mean, what I'm seeing. There are changes. Yeah, the there are definitely, days. for all my cynical attitude uh, uh, in interviews and on this show, I've been saying, well, the, the nice fallout of this is that quietly people who didn't used to take it seriously are taking it seriously. I heard, exactly. a re- yeah, I heard a report of um, uh, more than one of people at universities that are suddenly changing their tune, academic institutions saying maybe we should actually really kind of take a look at this and stop being making fun of it, which is a big change. Who cares about disclosure and all that? This, that's a real change to me where serious people are taking it seriously. Yeah, cause remember when John Mack, the, the guy who wrote Abduction, Pulitzer Prize winning author, mm-hmm. almost got censured by his colleagues for looking into this subject and believing in something as ridiculous as UFO abductions. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't think we're going to see that sort of thing. Uh, it depends. We still haven't had, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's, whenever a celebrity comes out of the closet uh, with this subject, people are still freaking out. <laughs> and we haven't had a really famous person who claims to be abducted yet. Uh, no, not not openly, I guess. There's Tom DeLong, of course. There's a few sports people and a bunch of people that said, oh, yeah, I've seen him. But has anyone, you know, said, mm, yeah, I've been taken on board? Yeah. There was a country musician way back in the day. God, I, I forget his name. It was back in Nevada. Um, I know who you're talking about. That. Yeah, I, I can't remember the name. but Is he the guy that was taken out into the desert with those weird people and... And I can't remember what it was with a bunch of people sitting around with their with their lights on, and they were he couldn't figure out if they were from the government or what. But he had told somebody had been had some sort of encounter or maybe an abduction experience. And I can't remember. Is this who you're talking about? Um, it might be. I, I can't. Just the name's not coming to me. It might come to me in a bit. But yeah, yeah. I know there have been some famous people. I, I believe Jimi Hendrix never talked about it, but Kurt, Curtis Knight. The drummer said that they had a full-on encounter where a UFO landed in front of their van in upstate New York. Oh, yeah. A being came out and uh, was kind of face-to-face right there with Jimi Hendrix, who made it clear to Curtis that we're not going to talk about this. Yeah, which is weird so, because it, you know, if anybody would ever talk about something like this, Hendrix. But the funny thing is he referenced it in, in a few songs, actually. Yeah, and, you know, a bunch of musicians seem to be having encounters. John Lennon, of course, mm-hmm. uh, is real famous, but there's a bunch of them. There was a, a book that came out a while back, UFO UFO Rock or something like that, uh, which outlined a bunch of cases. Right. And and I and I know there are others, <laughs> and I, I just find that kind of interesting because musicians are pretty influential in society, and I'm wondering if there's a connection there. Are they being contacted because of ETs are injecting their ideas into our society. Maybe. As uh, Whitley Strieber said a um, long time ago, he said that he looks at this as as a bottom-up uh, type of a scenario rather than a top-down, meaning everybody's going to, uh, people that have any kind of experience are going to have their own experience interpreted the way they want, and it's not going to be people from above telling you what it is. He says that that's what he thinks his visitors were all about, and I've I've found that to be a real useful 
model for the uh, for 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 a lot of things for for a lot of things associated with this phenomenon. It's, yeah. It seems more bottom yeah, I, up than top down, as it should be. I think. I think it's both, but the top's not moving down. They, did, <laughs> they contacted our leaders. There's a bunch of accounts of that, right? You know, the Edwards Air Force Base meeting and Holloman, and it goes on. But yeah, I think you're right. They did that wasn't working. So they did a grassroots movement, basically going from person to person to person. Yeah, they put on these little displays. They show themselves off to one person, and that one person goes starts on their spiritual journey. And now as a believer and part of the UFO community, and once you know, you know. Yeah, so there's a, that's kind of what they're doing. Yeah, there's a weird Rubicon there, which I've talked about and written about. Is there's this line between I believe and I know, and when you know, you can't really. You can't really explain it to people. Um, it, I'm not one of those people. I don't know yet. I've never had that kind of unequivocal thing happen to me. But what do you think about that? There seems to be people that kind of think about it. They they believe that what's going on. And there's other people that actually things have happened to. They don't need belief anymore. They don't need anybody to tell them what's going on. They have a very deep understanding, at least for themselves, of what's going on. Because you've, you've spoken to hundreds of witnesses. I've probably only spoken to like, you know, 20 in my whole life, really in depth um right do you find that with people that, that that it's hard for them to describe to a non-experiencer what went went on with them well yeah it is i think that most people know what the difference is between belief and knowledge you know and something that's you're taking on faith and something that you actually know to be true mm -hmm. uh, but not everyone does you know and they're not willing to let go and uh, you know you interview people and there was one lady i interviewed she had an experience in the Marriott Hotel uh, in Woodland Hills, huh. like on the eighth floor or something. And she's describing, she says, it was a demon. I'm like, okay, tell me what you saw. She says, well, it was very scary. And she woke up, there's this bright light filling her room, and there was this figure on her bed standing kind of on the foot of it. And I'm like, okay, what did the figure look like? And she says, had a, couldn't see it, had a huge head, really skinny body. And I'm like, oh, okay. And she says, I couldn't move. I felt paralyzed. And was describing all these UFO-type details, right? And uh, as I interviewed her, it turned out, yeah, she was having UFO encounters because she had a previous one just a few months earlier. She had a friend who was having them, full-on, you know, objects landing in their backyard type of thing. And she was dead set on believing at first that this was a demonic thing. And uh, I've interviewed her debated the whole demonic theory with people and that's very hard to do because there's that kind of i mean you don't know that this is demonic how could you possibly say that it is if you don't know and um, so a lot of people do have trouble people will tell me if they're in angelic encounters and, but most people just lay it down and they tell me what they saw and they're looking to for me to put a label on it uh which I'm loath to do, really, because we don't really know what this is. I think we are dealing with ETs. I'm a big, big believer in the ET hypothesis. Why, why is that? Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a number of reasons. I mean, one is I think it best fits the evidence, you know, and I'm aware of other theories, certainly. But, you know, like uh, the Valet theory, the John Keel theory, uh, that this is a phenomenon that's an intelligence that wears masks and masquerades kind of around. I don't like that theory. It's too vague, and it 
kind of puts us at the center. It's very anthropocentric. And uh, theories like that have shown not to work out well, historically speaking. We aren't the center of the universe. I don't think this phenomenon is here for us and about us and by us. Uh, I don't think that, that we're that important. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of evidence that there's an, an interdimensional factor to this. And I think they probably mastered this from a technological and a spiritual standpoint. And I don't think it negates the ET theory. If they're not ETs, where does that leave us? What are we? The only physical being in the universe? Uh, so there's, you know, there's a number of reasons. I mean, how do you explain the ET body reports? How do you explain the crashed UFOs? Uh, the landing traces? It's, it's a perfect continuum mm-hmm. that really does to sort of reflect the ET hypothesis. And I'm aware of fairies, you know, I'm, I know about all the uh, mythological creatures stretching back throughout history, the religious miracles and all of that. And there are really interesting parallels, uh, clearly, between some like angelic visitations, uh, between near-death experiences and out-of-body stuff and all this stuff. But I'm cautious of lumping this stuff together. Uh, I'm guessing there's multiple types of phenomena, and ETs is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I just have a hard time getting away from the ETH. You know? I yeah. Don't, I don't know. I'm not convinced of the ETH. I think it's I think it's a good theory. But then again, until somebody can have this on demand, this is my idea here, Preston. And I'm not doctrinaire about it. I disagree with people. I agree with others. It's no big deal to me. But it just seems to me that one theory, uh, the ETH theory, doesn't cover everything. Although to somebody like you or somebody that's been in the field or somebody like Peter Robbins, it's the best explanation he thinks he can come up with after talking to so many people. I'm kind of at a loss because I haven't talked to a lot of people, although I've seen lots of uh, UFO investigators talk to people and sort of kind of gently push them towards the ETH. It sounds like you don't do that, so kudos to you. Yeah, I don't have an agenda. I think a lot of researchers do, or they specialize in a certain thing. And, yeah. You know, I've done a lot of paranormal research because it's connected. You know, yeah. There are Bigfoot UFO encounters, and people have poltergeist breakouts after an encounter. Yes. And uh, they're spiritually transformed, and they start having out-of-body experiences and channeling. And So I had to look into all of that. Uh, I'll finish my thought and we can get into that because that's very interesting to me too. But I gave a lecture. I know this is your interview. I'm sorry. <laughs> I gave a lecture at, the, at a, a MUFON meeting and the people running the meeting got angry with me because they said that I was saying people were making things up. And the funny thing is the people watching, I mean, the, the audience, as far as I could tell, were pretty much on board. I, I talked to them later. I asked them. And the premise of my talk was, how much do we bring to a UFO anomalous encounter, a UFO encounter? How much does our mind form the experience and how much is coming from outside of our minds? I think there really is something that isn't human that interacts with us, but I'm not prepared to say exactly what that is because I think it locks us. I think our perception is very important in how we perceive, remember, tell stories about and research things. And so I'm very interested in the perception part of of a, of a witness at this point and how a traumatic experience, like even a simple sighting, it's traumatic to your, uh, your, your worldview a lot of times, how that affects your 
what about how it affects your psychology how does it change somebody like you says it like you said it does it changes many people very deeply but i'm right. I, i'm not prepared to That's say right. it's it's extraterrestrials because i don't know you can't produce an extraterrestrial on demand no matter how many times people tell me there's crashed ufos and all that there probably are i don't know though because nobody's said look here it is <laughs> Unfortunately, nobody's done that yet. When they do, I'll have to change a lot of my ideas. Well, some of them anyway. I'm not totally in bed with the uh, the ETH. I'm very much try to keep an open mind to the point of almost um, uh, being annoying, which I hope I'm not being right now. But uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I I appreciate that. You know, when someone gets dead set on their theory, and that's when you realize, like, you know what, mm, you're re- you're past the point of no return. If you you can't reason with a person yeah and present and this you know that's the theory you're talking about which goes by different names and there's never been one that i can say that you know and what do you call it the, the et the, the intelligence phenomenon. i forget what jack valet called it i'm calling it the i'm calling it the co-creation <laughs> hypothesis just to be just to be a just to be an asshole about it and make up a term <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's not a great term for it, but I'm aware of it. It's been called by different things, and it's the second best, I think, Mm. out there. uh, Because it does explain, you know, the ridiculous aspects, the psychological aspects. And I think about that a lot, you know, because, gosh, there's some of these UFO reports which clearly cannot be aliens. I mean, it's just too ridiculous. Oh yeah, like what? What? Some? How about you personally? For you, what? What? Uh, what brought that home for you? Like a specific case? Do you remember one? Um, offhand, I, um, I'd have to think about that one. But you know, I've, you know, you start reading through all these reports, and you're like, right. God, what is all this? You know, and the, the appearance of the ETs, and some, I don't know. It just starts to get a little hard. It's impossible to categorize, for one thing. Yeah, reality starts going wacko for the witness, and maybe some people around them. And there, I mean, there are cases where people have gone on board a UFO and seen Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and I'm I'm writing about this currently right now, and people who are like into the whole demonic theory, and they point to a UFO and say, "In the name of Jesus, be gone!" And they said it disappeared. You know, and that's how I know it's demonic. Right. And uh, someone who's taken on board and. Their encounter is clearly reflecting their personal beliefs in some way. It's symbolic. You know, there's weird symbologies sometimes. And uh, the fact that UFOs, like the airship wave, mm-hmm. that's always kind of bothered me because here we have all these Zeppelin-like UFOs and human-like aliens and they're full. I don't know. It could be that we're dealing with something else here. That's not extraterrestrials all the time, at least. But I still keep coming back to that ET age. Mm-hmm. You know, in my mind, still best explains the evidence. I understand. Uh, I, what not I, perfect. Yeah. Not perfect by any means. <sighs> None of these theories are perfect. Reason but if there's I, a crashed UFO, I mean, what are you going to, I mean, how do you explain that? If there's a crashed UFO at an airbase, or uh-huh. we're flying these things around, or this technology we're getting from these guys actually works, you know, I mean, how do you explain that? Yeah. How do you explain it gets radiation burns after getting too close to a UFO? There's right. enough cases. I've never this. said to reject the ETH. I've just said it's too narrow for most people, and that's all most people. Not for you. I mean, you've, you've talked to many people, and you've, it seems like you appreciate that there's so much more going on here. 
and I think it's it's almost like this um the Alan Watts thing where he talks about um the, this this Buddhist method of of bringing something up that's exactly the opposite in order to correct the incorrect uh assumption that something is all one thing. And so you know, yeah, I, I think I I think I my, personally I cheerlead for other things while not saying I don't say the ETH is ridiculous, wrong or anything. I just think it's it's too limiting, which is why I always bug people about it a little bit just to just to see what they'll say, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to walk away from the ETH theory for a very long time. And I think there are aliens, but I think there's a lot of other stuff and there's probably time travel that's starting to come up more and more. In what way? Uh, um, certainly I'm getting reports of it from witnesses who describe that the ETs have this ability. And, uh, I'm seeing more books being published on the internet about, you know, people who claim to have met time travelers and I'm like, well, this kind of muddies up the waters for sure. So now we're dealing with, you know, fairies and time travelers and a parade of aliens. It's not just greys, of course. I personally, people I've interviewed, mm-hmm. mostly are greys. Honestly, they're like 50-60% at least, some variation of greys. When someone says, I've seen an alien, that's usually what they see. But And after that, it would be the praying mantis type, uh, the Nordics, the human-looking, a uh, couple of reptilian. And beyond that, it's this weird, just one unique ET after another. Uh, robotic types, uh nine-foot-tall, orange-haired humanoid. I wrote about that in my latest book. Uh, just weird-looking human, humanoids. Yeah. Always humanoid. Yeah, so, that's the other thing. It's it, They're always humanoid. Do things need to evolve into a humanoid form, or do we just perceive them as a humanoid form because that's what makes sense to us, or at least to our memory? If you're standing there in the moment, maybe it's a gelatinous blob. I have no idea. But, <laughs> you know, later, well, great, just try Go ahead. The greys do that. I mean, they definitely have portrayed themselves as beautiful-looking humans, and suddenly people don't see that. And mm-hmm. There's a whole wide variety of so-called screen memories or masks that they put on. Mm-hmm. And one guy I've interviewed, you know, he's like, finally says, you know what? I don't think it's aliens. I'm saying it must be those jinns, you know, the D-J-I-N, jinn, yes. ma- magic genie type yes. thing. Uh, a trickster, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Trickster spirit. That's yes. what he's finally decided that he's dealing with. <laughs> so uh, I think there's quite a bit of stuff out there. And uh, So when people come to you, when, when you're doing an uh, investigation, do you... It sounds like what you do is you just go and let them talk. You don't tell them, you know, don't say, don't say, well, where did they, what did you think the aliens look like? Do you even avoid using that term? Uh, not necessarily, but absolutely letting a person talk is by far the best interview method I've learned. Uh, but I do, you know, like I, there are patterns. When someone starts explaining about their so-called UFO encounter, I always want to check out their childhood because there's, it turns up every single time, pretty much. Uh, when someone has a major abduction type experience, an onboard UFO experience or repeated contact, As an adult, as a child, somewhere between age four and seven, eight, they have more weirdness going on. And uh, some people will say, you know, oh, yeah, I saw them. I saw these ETs. 
Others will describe sort of a screen memory type things mm-hmm. and uh, or weird fairy friends and imaginary memories and missing time. And, but it's always it's always there. I'm like, hmm. So I ask things like that, you know, if they're not, if they neglect to tell me. And well, I, you know, what do you ask? Always, you say, do you is there anything else you can think of like this that that that's you've ever encountered in your life? Is that just like a, a neutral question like that? No, anything, yeah, anything weird in childhood, anything medically unusual about you, and and, and I hear, yeah, I've got an extra vertebrae. Heard that a couple of times, mm. or or medically unusual things about people. And I'm, I'm trying to, I'm looking for reasons, you know. What's it, I, I ask them, you know, what do you do for a living? And a lot of people who are having like healings. This is something I've really looked into. I've written a book called UFO Healings. That was my first book. And I'm redoing it. And who gets healed and why, you know? And there is a pattern. I absolutely noticed it. People who are getting healed are people like social workers. They're doctors. They're teachers. They're inventors. They're uh, environmentalists. Human rights activists. Uh, that type of person. Someone who's doing good work for humanity in some capacity. I was talking to this guy who had a healing. He's like, I'm a bus driver. I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm. That didn't really kind of fit what I see a lot until I looked at his website. And he has this website he's running, which is all about spiritual enlightenment. And he kind of is working really hard to spiritually enlighten humanity. Uh, so that's a loose pattern that I definitely see as to who has contact in terms of healing uh, and who doesn't. It's funny. Is that did the did the pattern happen because of their some some sort of encounter that made them change into that kind of person at some point in their life, or were they that way from you know from as long as they can remember? Usually, they're that way first, um, but not always. No, a lot of people come away from their experience and they become vegetarians yeah. uh, and environmentalists, and they're very concerned about the environment because that's the message that people are given. You know, this is kind of what my book, Inside UFOs, is all about. Mm-hmm. When someone's taken on board, of course, they're physically examined. That's the most common thing, and that's proven true under a number of studies. Thomas Bullard did a study on that. Yeah. And uh, absolutely, that's what I find, and I think that's reflected in other researchers. Very interested in the human body. But when someone is given messages, they fall into a number of different categories, and it's usually these three areas. One is warnings and I'm sure, I know you know about this. People are given warnings, prophecies about environmental destruction or nuclear proliferation or upcoming earthquakes or this sort of thing. Right. That's, that's probably the most common, which I think reflects on, you know, why these guys are here and what their agenda is. And second to that, people are taken to the engine room and they're told how these objects fly and given instructions on, you know, alternative energy. That seems to be a really strong theme. And thirdly, would be uh, alter- you know, kind of spirituality, I guess. Alternative healing, uh, psychic development, out-of-body stuff, past lives even. That's come up. This sort of thing. Uh, and pretty much every time I interview someone who's had these really kind of extensive experiences, they come away with something of one of those messages in some area. They, they become a water dowser, or now they give psychic readings, 
or they're trying to build a free energy machine, um, this sort of thing. Okay, so it seems more like the the experience changes them into that person rather than they they were that kind of person to begin with, or does it not? Does it not really matter? Um, I think it works both ways. They're definitely, I think, ETs are attracted to people who are psychic, I guess, or spiritual, or alternative in some way. Uh, they do seem to be drawn towards that. But again, this is a loose pattern. Mm-hmm. I always ask you. You know, I'm like, you know, what's your political affiliations? You know, what's your, I'm getting more um, bold asking, you know, really kind of personal questions. Um, and I don't think RH negative is the answer, the mm-hmm. blood type. Yeah, I've heard about that. Um, it does turn off. I'm not sure that a military connection is the answer either, but a lot of people do have military in their family working under classified projects mm-hmm. um, who are having these experiences. <laughs> Um, I, I noticed that early on. It's another one of these weird, loose patterns. But there is no, I mean, it's evenly divided between men and women in my files, uh, which isn't true with ghosts. Uh, twice as many women see ghosts as opposed to men hmm. in my files. You know, I, I haven't turned up in other researchers, but I, I wonder about it. Yeah, I had a uh, long time ago, I had uh, Richard Sennett on. And, of course, you know who he is. And uh, sure. Southern California ghost researcher. And I, t- I took a ghost hunting class with him, and I thought, why don't I just have him on the show? So he did not – I didn't actually get to that question with him. It would be very interesting to find out. I never heard that. I, I've never heard that there was you know, more women than men that are actually um, ghost uh, – have uh, ghost uh, encounters. I guess you could come up with a, a bunch of different reasons for it. But have you? Yeah, have I wonder about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly, I mean, women are, you know, classically, I think we think they're more intuitive, more nurturing, and this sort of thing. Empathetic, yeah, um, yeah. So perhaps that has something to do with it. But it turns up with kids as well. Kids, kids have a lot more encounters with ghosts than do adults. And there's a number of cases uh, that I, you know, I, I interview people on, and uh, only the kid could see the ghost. While the adult was actually there, they mm-hmm. could not see it. A number of cases, not just one, but uh, you know, several. Yeah. So the, so I don't know. It's it's all very strange. There's just so much going on with this unexplained, and the weird part is when it starts to intersect. You know, like there was one yeah. family. They called me from Illinois, and they're like, they they says, well, we have doors opening and closing in our house, and footsteps, and uh, the, you know, the lights are going on and off, and. I'm like, gosh, that's, you know, okay, that sounds like typical ghost activity. She says, but there's this UFO that's hovering over our house on a nightly basis. Or not nightly, but, you know, it's coming often enough. And it's freaking them out. And she described this, you know, and I talked to the husband as well, because they were concerned. Um, a kind of a bright object, you know, it wasn't your classic UFO with lights around it, but uh, was it was behaving like one. Um, certainly could have been interpreted as your classic spaceship, I guess, um, darting back and forth and hovering in place and then zooming away real fast, um, th- this sort of thing. And they wanted to know what was going on, and I couldn't really tell them whether they were having you know, UFO encounters or ghost encounters because it was... Everything. Both. Yeah. How often so does... Some kind of 
portal. Yeah. How often does this kind of stuff intersect? I would think it's a lot more than a lot of researchers want to say because the, the ghost paranormal researchers don't want to acknowledge the UFO stuff and the UFO and uh, the UFO researchers don't want to acknowledge all the other the paranormal stuff. That's changing a bit. I've really noticed that. But traditionally, yeah. they don't. How you know? Do you encounter this in a majority of cases, or just some of them, or um, you know? I've got other I'm questions about it too. Majority. Yeah, I'm not going to say the majority, but yeah, it turns up. And I, at first, I didn't know what to make of it, but I'm you know, I'm like, there's one lady. She had a. I interviewed her. She had a really remarkable UFO sighting, and it turned out she lived in a haunted house. You know, I don't think they were related. I think this UFO just flew by. But there was another case down in a on Van Nuys uh, on Kester Avenue with, involving this haunted apartment. And I interviewed a bunch of the people there, including the manager, and they were all talking about this really intense ghostly stuff. It was really impressive, actually. Hmm. And two girls had this major UFO sighting where it hovered right over the apartment building during the middle of this really intense haunting. And in that case, yeah, I think it's related. I really do. And there's another case involving a really haunted house here in Reseda. Mm -hmm. And the, the girl, the young daughter was having abductions at the same time. And they'd come home and the dresser would be moved in front of the daughter's door. They couldn't open it. And objects were being moved all over the place. They'd drop the keys and it would disappear. And doors would open and close. And I'm wondering if that's full-on aliens just masquerading as ghosts, or we think they're ghosts, and it's not ghosts at all. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. There is a weird intersect. And what a really classic case of this, which <laughs> blows my mind every time I think about it, was this radiologist I interviewed up in Canyon Country. He says, oh, yeah, I saw a Bigfoot. I didn't see it, but it was, I heard it. It was in my backyard. It was roaring. My dogs were going crazy. I felt like it was telepathically linked up with me, and I could read its mind, and it could read mine. I'm like, okay. I hadn't done a whole lot of Bigfoot research at that point, but I started. Yeah, yeah, that's um, common. And uh turns out, yeah, that, that does turn up, and that area is a Bigfoot uh, hot spot. There's a, a number of reports coming from it. But the next day, a UFO lands in his backyard, swears it up and down. This is what happened. Uh, and took off real fast. And following that, he had this huge poltergeist outbreak. And it was, you know, a bad one with all kinds of, you know, banging and cold spots and doors opening and closing and lights going on and off and mm -hmm. this sort of thing. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of, you know, this sort of, why the ET theory isn't completely satisfactory unless we can figure out what the, all this fallout is that's going on here. Yeah, there seems to be a, a channel or a portal or something that's opened up. And also, uh, the way you, you speak about it, it sounds like some people are more prone to it, like they're um, yeah. genetically yeah. or or uh, physically or... Their, their their antennas are higher than other people's. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. There, there are people who just run the gamut. <laughs> they have a near-death experience. You know, they've one lady I interviewed, she definitely had a near-death experience, a major one, a um, bunch of ET experiences. She was really, 
really an amazing witness. She was telling me how she was abducted, and she'd wake up in the middle while they were taking her, and she says, put me back. You put me back now. These gray type aliens were surprised she woke up, put her back in her room. She'd wake up to be around her bed again. She lashed out, and she says she broke one of their necks, and it fell to the ground, and they, that stopped an abduction. She described all these abductions, hybrid babies, and she's going on. She's got family I interviewed, her son, um, who verified some of the stuff, neighbors, and but I still had a hard time believing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was just a really heavy-duty case, and I got this sudden impulse to run to the top of my condo. Uh, I, at that time, I lived in a condominium complex. Right. Went went to the roof, not something I've ever done, really, um, and no sooner do I, do I get up there when this UFO appears and sends me this telepathic message. Basically, it says, it's us. You know, we're, I'll call her Wendy. We're Wendy's ETs. Not in those words, but it was a strong blast. Like, it's us. You know, look at us. This is us. We're real. And it started darting around back and forth saying, see, you know, see, this is us. This and happened to you. Off. Yes. Wow. I, 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 this lady. <laughs> I feel I feel deprived, Preston. I really feel deprived. Go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, I was. I called her up. I'm like, you wouldn't believe. You know, you're never going to believe this. You know, I believe you now. I think. You know, because this happened. She's like, oh. I'm like, I want to see a UFO because everyone's around her seeing UFOs, right? And I saw that. Yeah, but it came and went. And so she says, I'll talk to them, right? Um, honest to God, she calls me back. Um, she's since become a good friend. She lives in Australia. But she calls me back and says, yeah, we're going to drive off the 210 freeway there in Pasadena, right near La Tuna Canyon. Right. And uh, they're going to come. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I've done this before with other people, and they haven't come. Various contactees and such. Yeah, it seems it, like they almost never do. Yeah, it's very rare. And I did. I joined C-SETI. I did that whole thing. We had some sightings, but... This was amazing what happened. I couldn't believe it. We get there. I was with my sister-in-law, her son, and this lady. And we're walking up this dirt road. You know, we parked off the freeway. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. But walking up this, you know, a, 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 not a mountain, but a fairly sizable hill, at least. Yeah. You're thinking, got here we go again. Feet. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got. I, um, I climbed ahead with her. You know, we were a couple of hundred yards ahead of my sister-in-law and her son. And when we reached the top, we were out of view of the freeway, and she grabs my arm and screams. And right next to us, you know, like across the street, say, you know, 50, 100 feet away, maybe 50 feet up, is this huge round sphere covered with a thousand golden lights. It was extraordinarily beautiful. Um, One of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, really. Um, Unexplained, totally silent, and just... I mean, I couldn't even put words to it. I don't even know just the feeling of seeing something that close and so glaringly in your face uh, was unbelievable. And uh, we're screaming. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess you would. Just, uh, <laughs> this thing just kind of lifts up and scoots away really slowly at first and then darts around the mountain like nobody's business. And so this lady showed me a fucking UFO. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You I, I can swear all you want on the show. It's totally fine. I, I get all excited about it because she, she did it. Yeah. You know? And uh, really impressed me. And later, says, you know what? The Bigfoot is harassing me. I'm like, you got to be kidding. You know, and she's had some hairy ghost encounters as well. 
Yeah. So here's this perfect example of someone who's having all of this stuff. And she, I go to her house, you know, Bigfoot cracked the branch. Her roommate, her son, and her are telling me all about how it looked in the window. I'm looking at the footprints. <laughs> she says, it's howling at night. It's screaming bloody murder. It sounds like a woman being murdered. Right. And by now I knew quite a bit about Bigfoot. And yeah, they do have this high-pitched scream. And yeah. she says, it left you know, these bones on my doorstep <laughs> and you can smell it. And she woke up one night, puts this boulder on top of her roof. She says it took three guys to take this boulder and get it off her roof. Oh. They're all about rock throwing. Yes. Bigfoot, yes. By the way. Yeah. Um, and so we go out, we're looking, she says, I know where it lives, you know, lives in this, she lived in Acton right off the uh, freeway, really. Yeah. Not too far off right. the LA National Forest. Uh-huh. Lan- Lancaster, that whole area. Big, Bigfoot hotspot. And at any rate, we're, we're going to go look for it. I did not know that. Right? I drew, I drive through there all the time. I've actually camped there. All kind, I've never seen anything like this. It's just one. They, they, they stay away from me, Preston. I don't know why. But go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. I looked into it. I'm like, okay, there's a bunch of reports. You know, there really is. And, uh, so we go out there, and we're, we're driving away from our house into this isolated area where she thinks it comes from. And I'm not going to doubt her anymore because, you know, she's shown me UFOs. And uh, we pull off. It's dusk. It's dark. And uh, no sooner do we get out. It's it's actually dark. Just Darkness had just fallen. And we had sound equipment. <laughs> you know, we had cameras. We had all this stuff. Get out, we're standing there in front of the car, getting ready to get the equipment out when this thing roars hmm. really loud. And I'm like, whoa, what the hell? And I look up thinking, you know, maybe a plane is go- rushing rushing overhead, knowing, of course, it's not because I can hear this thing coming in the valley. Yeah. Where she said it lived. You know, and this, it was very, very densely brushed. You could not go there. It was very steep and very dense. Mm-hmm. And this thing roars again. And that was enough for her. She is out of there. She's ready to go. And I'm like, no, let's stay. And I'm running towards it, you know. <laughs> you know, let's see. <laughs> and it didn't roar again. She says it roared three times. I'm pretty sure it was twice. Uh-huh. Uh, but we drove off. And this is before you had any recording equipment or anything going. Right. We had not had a chance. To, we literally opened the doors and got out. Hmm. She says, this thing is harassing me. They don't kidnap people, do they, Preston? I said, no, never. There's no single report. And then I was like, hmm. Actually, there are. There is. Yeah, I think there is. But it's very rare. Yeah, but there's a dozen. There's a dozen reports. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's terribly uncommon, but it's happened enough to make me say, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to have to go tell her that it does happen. Yeah, you can't lie to her because she'll find out. I've got a, I, I, I was doing a, um, hmm, I think I was, oh, it was for Weird California. I was writing an article for Weird California about Bigfoot and about various sightings around Southern California. And I said, well, there's none in the desert. Well, yes, there are. Yeah, absolutely. And these things can run fast. They can travel, you know, 20 miles easy in an, in an hour. You know, it's, they're running around at a high speed. There's no doubt in my mind the Bigfoot are real. Uh, I think the evidence is absolutely persuasive across the world. It's in virtually every area. Uh, I don't think Hawaii has Bigfoot. Yeah. But uh, 
just about everywhere else. One story various, I ran... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, various names in each culture. Um, I'm absolutely convinced. Maybe you can... Uh, maybe you have information for me. I found this online, so, you know, what's that worth? But um, I can't remember where I found it, but there was a story from somebody that said they worked at Edwards Air Force Base, um, and there are tunnels there. The, uh, the story I was referring to was, though, that there were uh, one witness from, you know, with, without any provenance, it said there was a, there's lots of tunnels there, and there they have video surveillance on some of them. And they used to see Bigfoot walking through the tunnels at night on their video surveillance equipment at Edwards Air Force Base. Underneath a dry lake bed. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard that. That I always wanted to follow up on that because that's almost like the uh, UFOs cluster around uh, military bases thing. Now there's UFOs on it running around military bases. Do you have you heard anything like that, or is it that they just basically in rural areas just about everywhere? Uh, I mean, there was a similar report with Montauk, which is. Got a lot of conspiracy surrounding it, and I never really looked into it. Yeah, there's a lot of noise uh, around that, that. Right. And I do know that, uh, you know, the Cheyenne Mountain Complex in Colorado and some of their bases, apparently they've had some Bigfoot wandering around there. I don't know, though. I haven't heard a whole lot about that sort of thing. <laughs> Bigfoot inside. No. Yeah. The whole Bigfoot phenomenon is, is very bizarre because, for the most part, I think we're dealing with what it looks, what it seems to be, you know, a unknown primate. But the problem is we don't have bones and, and why? And there's this weird spiritual aspect to it. Yes. There's a lot of people who say there's this telepathic thing going on. And there's a number of cases where people say, oh, these things can turn invisible or shape shift even. Yeah. And then there's a residue of reports and I'm going to say it's less than 1%. You know, and most Bigfoot don't have a UFO connection. Most UFOs don't have a Bigfoot connection, but some do, and it's undeniable. Right. Well, I thought it was more than 1%, but yeah, I'd, I'd heard about it quite a while ago. Uh, Stan Gordon I mean, com- talks about this a you, bit, too. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. There's 20, 30, 40, 50 in the literature, but how many yeah. UFO sightings are yeah. there? You know, How many people have been abducted, and there's no Bigfoot? Yeah. And how many people have seen Bigfoot, and there's no UFO? By far, most, you know, yeah. at least 95%. I would be surprised if it's over anything like that. I think it's closer to less than 1%. You know, 1%, I'll give uh-huh. it that. Well, I I actually went out uh, with a member of the Hickory Apache near Dulce about, probably about 10 years ago, and he was, <laughs> he was there with a documentary crew, and of course you know about Dulce and all the weirdness there. There definitely are strange things seen there. There are definitely strange lights flying around. There have been for a long time, probably longer than there's, you know, been, uh, been civilization there almost. But he was describing extensive Bigfoot sightings around that, that area. And it's a, you know, it's a, uh, alpine wooded area, pine forest. But yeah, he described, uh, and other people described extensive Bigfoot activity around there. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, there's some reports. Where people have seen Bigfoot inside UFOs or yeah. working with ETs directly. And there's that whole telepathic thing with the ETs. And if it's true with Bigfoot, well, you know, perhaps they can read each other's minds better than we can, you know, with them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this, this 
whole weird consciousness aspect to all of this that and the, the, these different paranormal aspects that I think if you're a researcher, it behooves you to look into all of this. Um, yes, yeah. it's nice to know what UFO propulsion is or uh, you know, landing traces or you know, implant evidence, this sort of thing. But we got to remember, this is a giant web of stuff here that we're trying to sift through and figure out what's going on. And it's, I don't think we've, we're there yet. Yeah. Well, tell me what you think of this. Uh, I had um, David Weatherly on um, about a year ago. You, you know who he is, right? Um, can't say that I do. It sounds familiar. He's a um, Bigfoot paranormal researcher, mostly Bigfoot and, and hauntings. Although he has uh, some, he has some experience with UFO stuff, just because he's interested um, and knows quite a bit about the history. I'll ask you this question first. Do you, th- there's always this big argument: is Bigfoot a paranormal entity or is it a physical one? And people seem to come down on one side or the other of that. I'll tell well, you what. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what he said after you answered. <laughs> I think there's. That's a, it's a trick question. I think. <laughs> yes, it um, is. I think. <laughs> I think that the, there might be two different kinds. I think that there might be multiple different kinds. I think that some are clearly paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they can, you know, shapeshift or disappear and do telepathy. I'm not sure that that's true in all cases. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's like a genetic thing or, if, you know, these guys are evolving. We're all spiritual beings to some extent. Right. Uh, you know, and these guys perhaps have something within their nature which allows them to travel between dimensions. And uh, there seems to be a number of stories that support that. I don't think that's true for all of them because a, a lot of these things seem to be, you know, stinky things that wallow around in feces and live in swamps and, you know, feed off berries and fish and whatever they can get. I don't know. I'm of two minds about it. I think that there's some that are probably intelligent. That wouldn't surprise me a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, What David told me is he said, well, consider this one. Maybe it's a, maybe it is a physical entity that has, that knows how to manipulate things that it, it, that has paranormal abilities, which I never really considered. Yeah. I mean, D. Scott Rogo, he talks about, he says, you know what? I thought we're going to get some monster sightings which, in which they effect electromagnetic instruments. Mm-hmm. You know, and he did. He got, he co- uncovered a couple of cases where a person's car stalled when a Bigfoot came by them. I haven't heard anything like that since. I've heard uh, a few, but they might have been from Rogo's book. <laughs> yeah, but, but he was one of those kind of believers that, you know, this might not be just aliens. <laughs> That we're dealing with. Yeah, I think that informed some of my early, you know, ideas on the on these subjects because I was reading his books back there when you and I were first starting to write about this in the mid to late '80s. His stuff was very interesting to me, and I wish I'd talk. I think he was murdered like in the late '80s. I could have talked to him, and I never did. Yeah, he was a good researcher. I think he did a pretty good job. You know, there's a lot of researchers who have their agenda and they're trying to prove their theory of what this is. And me personally, I've always tried to really be objective as much as possible uh you know because i don't know i think the people who know best are the people who've had these experiences right so i'm trying to give them a voice where they can get this information out recently i've been talking with um 
various people I have on this show a lot, and we've been talking about you know this new. It seems like there's a movement to have kind of the witness become the center of the be the object of what's going on, not the researcher or what the researchers thinks, but what does what does the damn witness say? Listen to them and don't interpret and don't tell them what they saw. And I think this is very helpful, but you run into a problem. How do you, you know, how do you quantify these things that they're telling you? Because a lot of them go all over the map. You just have to take them all down and maybe use data, re, you know, data mining later to find out, you know, somebody said um, Marian apparition and on Wednesdays with a gray or something like that and see if you can find these kind of patterns. Do you find that this is changing? It sounds like you've been doing this all along, but do you find that this is changing where the, the witness is taking center stage? Um, to some extent, I think that this is an experience that a lot more people have than talk about it. And a lot of people have this experience and never tell anybody, right. maybe their close friends, and maybe not then. Mm-hmm. So it's still not quite to the point where I think people, you know, it's not being taught in schools, you know, or not throwing any money towards this subject officially. Um, unofficially, we are, obviously. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, we're quite to the point where people are free to talk about it uh, in a way where they still don't get those kind of weird looks. Yeah. And uh, when, when I interview someone who's been taken on board or saying flat out, I've seen aliens, they usually say something like, you know, I'm not on drugs. Or, I don't do drugs or I've got a, a good education. I went to college. I have no history of mental illness. Yeah. I haven't told this to anybody. So I, it's still hard for people, and uh, I think the experience is so common that, yeah, people are now coming out and talking about it, and the witness has should have been center stage from the beginning, but we can't have every Yahoo out there saying, you know, that what they, because there, there needs to be someone to vet these stories to some extent. Right. You know what I mean? Because not all witnesses tell the truth. There's a lot of liars. Mm-hmm. Now, there's liars from the top of society all the way down to the bottom. People lie. And uh, certainly I've talked to people. I'm like, mm, you know, some witnesses are better than others. Uh, how do you so tell this, How do you tell the difference? I mean, I, I, I guess you could tell basically by talking to them for a while. But what, what, are, what are some indicators for you that somebody's just... Um, wanting attention or lying or whatever, and ba- basically not worth your time. Um, I, more, I focus on who's telling the truth than because I mean, if someone does not want to tell their story. To me, that's a good an indication of sincerity. If I have to pull it out of them, you know what I mean? Yeah. They don't want to talk about it. They're not seeking publicity of any kind. Whereas people who are lying go a little overboard. They can put too many details in. And every time they recall it, it is precisely the same, which really doesn't happen. Uh, I do multiple interviews with a person, you know, when I decide to investigate their story. Mm. And if it's too exact, I don't trust it. I see. Yeah. You know, if honestly, uh, because I just, and if it's out of the, if it's a complete outlier, I guess would be one way of putting it. I've, I've never heard this before. You know, I've, I've never heard of blue avians. Um, no. Not one person has told me of a feathered <laughs> alien. Just saying. Um, I don't know, not saying, you know, Corey Good is not for real at all, of course, but, you know, I'm I looking would. forward. 
looking forward to seeing my first blue avian report. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So yes. There's certain red flags that a per- when a person is telling me their story, I'm like, oh, there's a detail that probably doesn't know about, but I do. Like one guy, this Navy guy I was talking to, he's like, Preston, I was on board this craft and damned if this room didn't start changing sizes. It changed size. I'm like, yes, you know, I've heard this before. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people know that. It's a, it's a rare detail. Right. You know, and how people describe the lighting and, you know, this sort of thing, the cleanliness, the smells, uh, all these things start to add up and you can tell whether or not they're telling the truth, their emotional level. Uh, there's all kinds of clues. And if it's a good case, then you want to get, you know, character witnesses, uh, talk to their spouse or their brother or sister and things like this. Right. Once you start to add that up, it's like, wow, you know, this is a good case. Uh-huh. Here is a uh, a conundrum, because if you hear the same thing from a lot of different people who have never met, don't know each other, haven't talked to each other, it seems on the surface to argue for an external reality of what's going on with them. And right. th- and you would, d- you would draw that conclusion. I'm not these people. I haven't talked to a lot of them. I don't know these secret things that they see or things that aren't talked about, which is probably a good idea not to talk about them in public so you can keep uh, cross-checking. But... I am thinking there be maybe other ways of people of people to have similar experience without having actually had some physical experience that I could have too if I was in the same place. If you know what I'm saying, and it sounds like I'm trying to be trying to worm out of uh, of physical reality of it, but since it only happens to these people and I wasn't there, and you can't get it on camera, and I can't reproduce it on demand, I don't know where that leaves me. It, it leaves me with, I guess I just have to listen to them and take their word for it without believing 100% what they say in a way where I could say, that, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I'm, I'm trying to get you, get, give you an idea of where I'm coming from, Preston, that I'm not, I'm not hostile to it. I just have, I ask ridiculous questions of this ridiculous phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is ridiculous because here we have something that appears to be so pervasive and just saturating our society and, and there is, a complete lack of physical evidence. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think it's the phenomenon itself. These ETs are not willing to give up anything at this point. And anything that does slip through is scooped up pretty viciously by a government that's putting a lot of money towards debunking this phenomena and uh, keeping it under wraps. So I think that's part of the problem. But uh, I'm I mean, like, my sister-in-law, I remember she was one of the first people I interviewed who saw gray-type ETs. Bud Hopkins' book, you know, hadn't come out at this point, mm-hmm. or certainly not in the bestseller capacity. Whitley Strieber's hadn't, you know, there was no information on this. She hadn't read anything on it, and she's describing these gray-type ETs. She's an artist, she's like, yeah, that had green olive jumpsuits, mandarin collars, these giant black eyes, and their skin was white. She says it was white, devoid of blood, it looked like. Mm-hmm. She's just going on and on. She's great eye for detail. And I am just, you know, crapping my pants because I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, this sounds like a gray type ET, and she has no idea right. what she's talking about. Yes. So that, I mean, so this information is now in the public arena. You know, it's yeah. not hard to 
Yeah. Go on the internet, and then you can call me up and say, ah, I was abducted. <laughs> yeah. And try and, you know, and it wouldn't be hard to come up with a scenario. But, uh, but at that point, it was. <laughs> yeah, at that point, it was. Uh huh. And, uh, the second time I'd interview one of these people, or, or the third, it, it would start to become apparent that their story isn't up to snuff. Uh, I don't know. It's a lot of, it's another thing I found is, there are no two stories that are completely unique. Each person I interview has been taken inside a UFO, describes something slightly different in some respect, whether it's mm-hmm. the appearance of the ETs or what happens to them or the wall or the message they got or something. It's yeah. never exactly the same. Yeah, well, that that almost comes back to what I was saying about a a um where your experience is created by your trying to deal with the weirdness of the experience and putting your own metaphors on it just so that you can remember it or deal with it or whatever you want to call it. Uh, not go crazy? I, I don't know. But uh, yeah. Well, that, la- that lady I was telling you about who showed me UFOs, um, my sister-in-law, you know, who is the artist who's worked with me, she's like, wonder if she's like creating these. wonder if she's bringing them in. No. And... She can like manifest stuff. She we go out and she'd like manifest it. I remember we went out to dinner and she's like, I should warn you that I usually get my meal for free because they spill the food on me. I'm like, Oh, well, you're gotta be kidding me. She's like, No, honest to God. <laughs> and of course that's what happened. You know, I got a little flick of her, her dinner on on my face, but almost all of it went on her. Um and uh, she got her free food, just like she predicted. And she's I know not she didn't trip them, trip know. them or hit anybody, or, <laughs> yeah, or have a little hidden rope on the floor or anything like that. Yeah. It was funny because she gave me this look when it happened. <laughs> like, see, told you so. <laughs> <sighs> she creates her reality, you know, and I think there's something to that. You know, if you, hmm. she she believes it so strong. She's so connected. Um, she would go to the beach and she's like, "I'm gonna call dolphins," and they would come. They would absolutely come. I'm like, wow, this is a coincidence until like the third time. Yeah. I'm like, God, you know, this lady driving me nutty. Yeah, there are there is a a well documented history of people that um, do these kinds of things. One very famous one, and I've written about it recently because I didn't know too much about him. Is um, uh, Ted? Um, oh, now I can't remember his name. Ted Owens. Ted Owens, yes, the PK man. Right. It sounds kind of like th- this woman, you know, is kind of like him in a different f- in a different form. Yeah, it's funny. She I, once did energy work on me because um, she says, you know, I can do healings. I'm like, okay. Um, she, and she takes my feet and puts them in her hands, and she starts shooting energy up the soles of my feet. And I tell you, my whole body went a little bit. You know, I could feel the energy coming up my feet. She could actually pump it in right through. Uh huh. So she's. She's for real. Definitely one of these people who are, and she got it all from the ETs. She said they taught her everything from a child. She would be taken on board and taught how to do telepathy and telekinesis and all this stuff. Yeah, there seems to be a connection with a lot of people with uh, psychic abilities. Um, UFOs and aliens always come up. At least that's what they say is is going on with them and it's where they got whatever they have. I, I hear that time and time again. Um, I'm not those people. I don't know if I was standing there, what, what I would have seen when they were getting this energy or whatever from the ETs, but it's, it's a recurring theme. And it was, a, it was a theme 
before the modern era, to, not the modern era, but before, you know, the last 30 or 40 years, I wrote about this woman, um, Paulina Peavy, who was an artist. In the 19th, uh, she started uh, working in the 1930s. By the 50s, she was saying that the entire time, her entire artistic output came from aliens. Starting, <laughs> wow. starting in the 1930s. And she would, she would channel her artwork she did, she uh, made these masks that she said the aliens told her how to make that would uh, uh, allow her to um, receive their messages a little bit better. This kind of stuff is fascinating to me. I don't really, it, especially when it turns into something creative and something that uh, somebody says is not coming from them. Because it's, artists say this all the time, that the work is coming through me. I don't do it. Um, right. And some people say it's coming from aliens, which is, or or some other paranormal entity, but... Uh, for our purposes here, it's it's fascinating to me when they say it's coming from ETs or aliens or another planet or whatever. That's uh, and some of it is very beautiful and and is uh, and uh, communicates in a way that any other art that people say they came that came through normal means uh, affects people. Yeah, ETs love artists. I, that's something I hear quite a bit. Mm. Just interviewed this lady who had all these really benevolent experiences with Pleiadians and they healed her and she's like and I'm like, Well what do you do for a living? She says, Oh, I bounce around, you know, I do some healing work I'm like, Oh, okay, because that turns up all the and she says, but I, mostly I'm an artist. And I went to her uh web page and she's got all that uh sacred geometry geometry type art and you're and it's really beautiful and you just kinda of stare at it and it's hypnotic. It's really accomplished. I've got a um, selfish question. I'm very interested in the phenomenon of uh, something that people call alien writing or uh, whatever is communicating to people through symbols or languages. Do you have much um, experience with that in the in your research? Um, not a whole lot. You mean like automatic writing, that sort of thing? Automatic writing or people say I was on a ship or whatever and I saw these symbols or the aliens tried to teach me this this language because they said it would allow us to communicate. There was somebody at the IUFOC that talked about this, Susie um, Hansen, I think, from New Zealand. Um, but right. that, that, yeah. that part of the phenomenon actually fascinates me. Yeah, it does come up. I did talk to the lady in Carpinteria in Southern California here. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had a really strange experience. She had a lot of ghost stuff going on. I had a number of UFO sightings. And suddenly, spontaneously started channeling a gray-type ET. And uh, it said its name. He said, you can call me Kevin. <laughs> <it said>. <laughs> <laughs> right? And uh, it, she channeled this thing, and she said, she'd ask it a question, and it would come through her arm, and she'd be writing this stuff that she says she wasn't writing. Right, and there was all these messages about how they live. They've been here for a very long time. They're much more numerous than us. It was his job to try and contact people like her and kind of communicate information. They said they live in oceans, uh, and they're benevolent and uh, things like this. That's pretty much all I can dig up. <laughs> but you know that particular case. But that turns up there's another lady I interviewed. She had this weird thing happening where these alien symbols would appear on her leg. She first noticed it or anywhere on her body. She was taking a shower. And she sees the symbol on her leg. And she's like, where did, that, where did that come from? She ends up going to the doctor because they keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, you might have dermographia. 
where you scratch yourself and it causes a welt by just, a, you know, touching yourself. Yeah. But she didn't have that. You know, these things were appearing kind of spontaneously, sometimes overnight or just they were there. And she could not, she started writing them down and she couldn't figure out what these symbols were. She's going through books and can't find it. And finally is watching TV and it's uh, that television show, Intruders. Bud Hopkins got had his book right. made into a TV miniseries. Mm-hmm. And she's watching it and it comes up to this one point where the alien symbols are shown. And it turns out the alien symbols shown on that program were taken from actual cases. And she's freaking out because those are the ones that are appearing on her leg. Those are them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, I mean, that was a weird case with this sort of alien symbols. And, yeah, I mean, just today I was. Alien stigmata. A yeah, a lady was healed. Here's another. And she, she's healed of cancer. This lady, Helen Charbonneau. It's a famous healing case. Really well known in the UFO community. Lady healed of a uh, pancreatic cancer. Taken aboard a UFO and sees these little, kind of gray type humanoids. And they have this belt on, and on the belt is a symbol, and it's the Star of David. <laughs> and there's one on their uniform, too. Little things like that. I'm like, hmm, and what's that supposed to mean? Uh, so, yeah, the symbol, there's this weird symbol aspect that does turn up occasionally. It's not my specialty, but I certainly take note of it. Yeah, I think whatever your specialty is, these things accrete to you and, and, and appear. My, my friend Mario that uh, studied alien writing, he died in 1999, but he had amassed a collection of a lot of these symbols. I think Roger Lear had some too before he died. He published some of them as well. But they were symbols that people said came from whatever they encountered. And either it was a one-time thing or uh, sometimes it was ongoing. But... um what Mario told me was that the ones he thought had the most value, I suppose, were the ones that could not be deduced to be, uh, have a relationship to the speaker's native language. Like they were just, they were symbols and they would say all the meaning, all the meaning that is encoded in the symbol could not be, you know, explained in a paragraph. You have to, you have to know what the symbol means and it means so many different things. It's not just a little picture of something like man and that means man. It's a symbol that will, decode at least for the witness an entire philosophical um uh uh what an entire philosophy or an entire um history of something or whatever right right yeah it's so many different aspects to this field and uh once you get into it you start to realize yeah you you can become obsessed in fact people do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can go off the deep end if you're not careful. Uh, Many people do. You want to remain objective. I think that's really important. And uh, keep a level head about this and separate, you know, don't let your beliefs get in the way of what you're researching. Right. Um, But, yeah, it's one level after another. I mean, it's not just UFOs. People get stuck into this thing and they start getting pulled on this spiritual journey of, you know, enlightenment almost. Yeah, uh, because it's one thing after another. Uh-huh. I still think the whole disclosure movement is where we're going to see some real move, you know, real pay dirt. I guess, or I think it's very delicate the situation that we have going on now with this cover up. Uh, I think the cover up is demonstrable. There's no doubt in my mind that it's taken place. 
there is a bunch of hidden information that's been kept from us, probably hardware as well, probably bodies, and I think that's going to come out. Uh, I can't see it remaining hidden forever. So that's kind of where I'm super excited to see. I think once that happens, we're going to start seeing more of these UFO displays a la Phoenix Lights or Belgium or Mexico City or the Topanga Canyon wave. And we're going to have open official contact. Can't see it going any other way. We're going to join the Galactic Federation. Hmm. I I have I I really don't think that'll happen, but uh, because I (laughs) to me I think that coming from you know my point of view is the phenomenon is so strange and so diverse in the weirdness that it's kind of hard for people to grasp what it is. I don't think we're at a place in in our evolution in the way that at least the West is, I don't know about the East, but maybe, maybe all of humanity where we can grasp what's going on. So I'm not exactly sure what would be revealed. I think something that might be obvious is the thing that would be the least, the least likely thing to happen. If you, if you, you know what I'm saying here. Um, I mean, well, I'm I, sure I, we have these craft. I, I, I mean, there's no doubt we've, there's enough testimony. We know they're being held at Edwards at Norton at Wright Patterson. I mean, case after case, I want to see the Roswell craft. Show me. Yeah. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. It's not that hard to do. Yeah. I don't know if I believe any of these people until something's out in front of me. Um, until then, I withhold judgment. I, I don't disbelieve. I withhold judgment, Preston. Hey, I totally understand. And it's a lot better than people who are rabid believers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I try to say, you know, this is my assessment. Cause right, this is right. What I okay. Know, you yep. know? You know, there are certain things I do know. I know this is a real phenomenon. I've seen it myself. I've talked right. to enough people. I know it's real. I agree with I you. I know there's something behind it. I'm pretty sure it's aliens. Uh huh. Because I'm just, I just can't walk away from it. There's too many people who've seen the aliens. Yeah. What? And if they're not aliens, what are they? It don't know. Like a duck, it walks like a duck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how it changes. <laughs> Maybe it'll change its mask in a, the next hundred years when we're a different culture. <laughs> yeah, or it'll change its mask as, you, as soon as we think we know what it is, that it might change its mask. It seems like that's kind of what it's been <laughs> right? doing for a while. Yeah, it'll move, it, move, move us up to the next level of understanding and just tease us throughout eternity. Maybe. Maybe it's us but, uh, teasing ourselves. I have no idea. Oh, I know what I want to say about Peter. And with regards to you, we had a agree-to-disagree thing because I told him, if I had gone what you had gone through, if my sister was an abductee or appeared to be, and I had had some kind of stuff going on in my life, and I had hung out with Bud Hopkins for 20 or 30 years, basically being along on just about everything he did, my point of view might be closer to yours. It's based on our personality and our lives and our backgrounds and all that, especially you know for everything, but especially with this UFO thing, because you can put any mask you want on it or any template you want on it, I think. It's just that most of it is the ETH one. Yeah. Well, I, I've got enough cases where I could march out that Bigfoot is an alien or Jesus is an alien yeah. or they, they're demonic. <laughs> or no, they're angelic. Yeah. Or, you know, there are enough. I mean, it's like interpreting the Bible. You can use it whatever way you want, you know, like statistics. <laughs> you, they're very easy to manipulate. Yeah. Uh, and with that much information out there. But if you sift through all of it and you measure it, the bell curve shows the ETH is by far the most popular. Mm-hmm. 
and the most, um, what's the word, parsimonious for what you found out. Right. And, uh, and I still coming back to like, if it's not aliens, then where does that leave us? What are we? Are we the center of the universe? And, you know, are we creating this all? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I think we have a great hand in creating a lot of our, uh, a lot of our reality, almost down to the level of physical laws. Um, this is part of something called information theory, which is really interesting to me right now, that the basis of reality is not atoms it's information that is formed into reality by our experiencing it which sounds very woo woo and silly and all that but um this has been proposed by people like john wheeler who was a nobel prize winning physicist so it's very interesting to me right now no and i, and I love it actually because this is you know we haven't talked really about out-of-body experiences a whole lot but i got real into that simultaneously with ufos uh-huh. i actually got really good at it you know, I had a bunch of it and, and still doing it. And when you're out on the other side, you know, talking to dead people or uh, traveling through the, the so-called heavenly dimensions and this sort of thing, you can get to a point where you create reality with your mind, period. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts rule on the other side. It's like carrying a cannon. I mean, if people realize the importance of thought. They would be much more careful of what they think mm-hmm. and what they believe. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's absolutely true. We, when you come back here to the physical plane and you realize that this is actually a frozen dream. It's a crystallized thought form, I guess would be one way of putting it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we do create our reality. There's no doubt in my mind that that's, that science has got it not quite right. Certainly they've made a lot of progress, but Ultimately, reality is formed from consciousness. Well, it all works on on a certain level, but then when you get to another level of understanding or basis of reality, you realize that um, it, it 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 is a it's a construct. It's a useful construct and one that makes makes a lot of sense to us and and works and even works when we theorize something because it seems like we're working towards an understanding. But we've already created by by coming up with a theory. Um, and some of them are like more, the ro- more robust than others. You know, some, some, some scientific experiments work because whatever matrix, like you say, they're, they're uh, embedded in, it makes sense in that matrix, but others don't. Yeah. Yeah. You have these issues like time and space. Cause I mean, time, when you go on the other side, flows differently. You can see the past. You can, you know, have future visions. Mm-hmm. Uh, time kind of ceases to exist because there's really no such thing as distance. You teleport from one location to the next. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole rate times 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 distance equation collapses. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as time. It's a construct of the physical plane. And there's no such thing as space. You know, we're all sitting here in the same space. If there's such a thing as space, what's the difference between infinity and a tiny dot? You know, there isn't because there's always something beyond it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Size makes no difference if there's infinity. Yeah. Distance doesn't make any sense. I think I asked some of the questions that you sent me, but mostly they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I've told people that want to be on the show, I've said, I've actually refused when people ask and they get offended and they say, why, why? I said, because this is a very personal show for me. 
it's the things that I'm interested in. And the reason I wanted to have you on is because you're out there talking to people, interviewing people, doing the work, putting the miles on your car and all that. And to me, because of my questions about this, that holds a lot of, you know, that, that that's valuable to me. And if it makes me question what, what I'm thinking, so much the better. <laughs> so I thank yeah, you for no, that. I'm right there with you. I mean, the books I write are kind of right. I'm writing for me <laughs> because I wanted to know what was going on in Topanga Canyon with that wave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote a book on human levitation because I wanted to know if it was real. You know, I really wanted to know what was out there. And uh, this sort of thing. Yeah, I totally am right there with you. Uh, it's, a, it's a pathway, I think, for each person in this universe trying to figure out what the heck is going on and who are we and where do we come from and this is not making a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I don't exactly. think we evolved here, honestly. Because mm. now I'm looking at all these Nordic aliens, I'm like, well, if these guys look just like us, what does this say for human evolution? If greys are mating with us, you know, hybridizing, I mean, are you kidding me? What? How long have we been here? You know, and yeah, Where did humans come from if there are space aliens that look just like us? Uh, to me, it means that we're placing our own meaning and, uh, and uh, uh, a lot of our own meaning and, uh, and models for things on whatever this, this non-human force, entities, or uh, intelligence is. Because right. I don't know how you could hybridize with a completely different species. Another thing I'm not sure, well, I guess you could if you knew how to manipulate DNA. The other thing is, why do people need to be examined a hundred zillion times? Why can't they just examine one person or abduct one cow or whatever? That's that's all the information you would probably need if you know about DNA. So it doesn't seem like it's done for a practical purpose. It's done for, more for a psychological, theatrical, or something to benefit us. Um, not n- not in a way benefit like nice, but um, some way to interact with us. Very strange. Seems more like theater. They're obsessed with humans, these greys in particular. Um, and, yeah, they abduct people over and over again. And I think it's, you know, will we do that? We we get absolutely obsessive and we're constantly measuring things over and over and over again. You know, I think that's their behavior, for the most part, falls under the typical umbrella of human behavior. What they're doing is stuff we do. You know, so I don't see them as being that different from us. That's another thing people are like, oh, you know, are they evil? Are they hostile? You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> some are, you know, absolutely. And and some aren't. And mm-hmm. for the most part, I'm going to say they're not. I don't see sadism. You know, I don't see hostile activities where they want to hurt people and they get off on it. You know, they don't intend to hurt people. I don't think that's their agenda. Mm. Uh, in fact, I'm seeing the opposite. You know, they're trying to enlighten people in some respect. And that's something that's been held consistent from the modern age of UFOs through the contactee era. They, all the friendly human aliens, you know, all uh, Howard Menger and uh, George Adamski, were giving messages about, you know, nuclear proliferation and upcoming disasters and things like this. And it's the same message from the Greys, the same from the Praying Mantis, the same from the Nordics. They're all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing that I find really interesting that that holds consistent <laughs> while the appearance of this phenomena is changing to some extent it's very amorphous right 
I actually, when I said I didn't ask too many of your questions, I think we did get to a lot of your questions just in the way that we were that you sent to me. Yeah, and I appreciate actually this style of interview a lot better than the you know cut and dry. Ask the question I sent, and uh, I'll give you the answer, which I pre-prepared, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, I think that this is something I'm really passionate about. I really am. I think it's an important subject. I know there's a woo-woo factor, and people are kind of giggle nervously about it, and they don't think it affects them. But I'm here to tell you it does. You know, This is something that affects every person on this planet. And if I'm right, and we do have crashed UFOs, and alien bodies and ET technology, then this has the potential to change the world in a huge way, not only by you know enlightening humanity in our to our place in the universe, but this technology could solve the energy crisis. The, we could use it to solve the environmental crisis uh, and the economic crisis, which is, in my mind, bogus and made up and controlled. Well, we could solve that too. So it's a really important subject, and I think it does have the potential to change our world, and I think we're heading towards that. Um, this is a subject that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. I think the government is freaking out over it. I really do, at the high levels. I'm guessing that a, there's a bunch of them who want this out, want to change the world and you know fix things, because we're going down a road right now that's just chaotic. Yeah, there was a guy last night on uh, Coast. Um, I've been uh, working. Did you know this? I do their web work every once in a while. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, uh, one of my friends that when I uh, lost my last job like three years ago, um, I, I'm just fill in. It's not my main job. But there was somebody on last night when I was working, and they were talking about, I can't remember the guy's name. He was talking about Silicon Valley, um, what's going on there, what's going on with artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, tracking people online and all this and he says i see (laughs) he says i see these two scenarios one of them is where all this technology we're talking about here just like i said the robotics uh, machine learning ai is harnessed to let us enter some sort of a um you know a new golden age where all this technology is is at our disposal and and makes life better or there's another scenario where it basically goes completely awry, enslaves us, and turns turns things in basically into World War III, except on an information level, which will spill out into the you know real world by you know turning off electricity for months and things like that. And he says, I don't know which of these scenarios is going to play out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Anytime anyone puts up a prophecy, well, it never happens, does it? It's no, no, problem. no. Not at all, but he was. Yeah, I think he was engaging engaging in some bombast too. I think there's there's going to be it's going to be something good or bad will happen. Some mixture of those two. But he was just kind of worried what this technology would be used for, and that's not even considering some of the stuff you were just talking about, which I don't know if the technology is usable, real, or anything. However, there are people that uh, people who are far more informed, smarter, and hooked in than you or I that take it fairly ser- very seriously and are th- trying to figure out how to uh, how to v- utilize the, the, what they think is you know non-human technology to change things to change you know that's what te- that's what the to the stars people think they're doing yeah well I mean if we have the cure for cancer I mean for God's sake I, I know that if we have healing technology I'm guessing we do. ETs certainly do. 
releasing it would cause problems. Can you imagine if the military got a control of a technology that would heal flesh wounds? Oh, you know, it might not be good news. Yeah. And if we, you know, suddenly could cure cancer and we still haven't decided, you know, to control our birth rate or learned how to not pollute our water, you know, that's not good news either. We'll die even quicker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll it, live a long time and then we'll all get killed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, or, I, or you can just upload yourself into, uh, into the cloud or something and become a, uh, <laughs> some sort of, uh, a, a digital, uh, digital ghost in the machine. Who knows? That's what a lot of, um, the, the other thing he said was a lot of people in Silicon Valley are trying to figure out how to, Kurtz, Ray Kurzweil like, how to, uh, upload their, um, all their memories and their consciousness and everything into a computer and, you know, how could they do that? Would it actually be a person? Would it have a soul? All these other, these are things that the people in that, uh, in that, uh, that world are dealing with right now and, and trying to find out about, which is yeah, wonderful and scary at the same fiction. time. Yeah. And that's huge in science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> now it's coming true. The robots yeah. are going to take over. Yeah. Exactly. I'll tell you one thing. I don't want an implant in my brain. I don't want a self bone implanted in my brain. I don't want to have to go online that way, even if it does give me an access to advanced knowledge. Yeah. A huge database. Well, they sure say that's that. where it's going. They say that's where it's going. They want, you know, the next quantum leap in, in all this technology will be implantable, wearable, all that other stuff, which is for people you and me, like you and me, and what we're interested in, maybe our age, we're just kind of like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want any, I, you know, I, I give out fake information all the time online just so people won't bug me. <laughs> Unless no, I, I want to be hacked. Yeah. You know, the, I don't want to be hacked. Self-driving so. cars. I don't think that's going to work out. You know, mm. they're trying to push that on and it's not working that well. Um, there's going to be a lot of weird stuff going down as we deal with this alien technology. And apparently we already are. I mean, if you believe Colonel Corso, you know, half the stuff we're using right now, computers and yeah. all of that, lasers and so on, is alien technology. Right. Okay. I think there was somebody trying to figure out, um, maybe it was Ryan Wood, was trying to figure out if they could find all this technology that Corso said came from aliens and trace it back to the very beginning and i think they uh, some of them at least some of them they said no no this is exactly this person discovered it this well unless it was covered up and whatever you want to believe but there's a very specific line of provenance and evidence back to somebody inventing it and not having an alien tell them how to do it um but i don't think they'd found that for all of them yet right i'm not 100 percent sure but it's, well, he, it's said, he said kevlar i remember that yeah and, uh, i believe they, they were able to pretty much say that this is invented here or there and but witness after witness will tell me, you know, this object didn't reflect metal. It reminded me of Kevlar. <laughs> I've heard that like five times. I'm uh -huh. like, oh, weird. Because most people aren't reading UFO books. Most people don't read. <laughs> Not anymore, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't mention real. We mentioned books you'd written, but we didn't really mention too many titles. Uh, what's the newest one? Is that the Inside UFOs? Yeah, that's what I'm most excited about. True Accounts of Contact. It's got 10 all-new cases, never before published. Uh, most don't involve hypnosis. I believe hypnosis works, but these are all conscious cases of people who've been taken on board or had face-to-face -face contact. And, uh, yeah, that's... Good for you for not using the hypnosis stuff, at least for these. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it works, but I, I just... 
just wanted to avoid it <laughs> for this book. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm super excited about it. I'm putting out a new book about a underwater activity. Just put one out about UFOs over Colorado, kind of following up my state by state series. And uh, yeah, keeping busy. I love doing this stuff. Uh, and a website people can visit if they want to either get in touch with you, um, uh, report something to you, or just communicate. Yeah, well, if you just Google my name, it should take you there. The actual address is PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. Got all my books there. You can contact me through my website. Always enjoy hearing from people, whether it's you know a comment or a story to share or whatever. But yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show. Had a blast. All right. I appreciate you being on, and it's nice to talk to somebody that it's, uh, like I said, is out in the field, is talking to people, and has done the done the real research. So thanks so much, and I think we, uh, since we live pretty close, I think we should go to lunch sometime and talk a little bit more. <laughs> you got it. All right, Preston. Thanks so much. Oh, the, the you did not know this. The guest, I always play a song at the end. The guest gets to pick the song. Oh, really? Yes, yes. And I just I'll just pull it off YouTube if I don't have it. Um, well, let me think for a second. <laughs> any, any song, huh? Yeah, anything. I don't mind. It, it can it can be speed metal. It can be classical. It can be, you know, ragtime piano. It could have swearing in it. I don't care. All You're right. the guest. Well, how about an obscure one? I always liked One in Ten by UB40.
Yeah. 